facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Monday. It is the 12th of February, 2023, and so glad you're spending this hour with me. This is Kale Clark, and you can call right now. Grab a line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Of course, you can always email the program. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you had a super Sunday. We can talk about the big game later and all the Mahomes magic. That was the least of my concerns uh, on Sunday morning because I got a phone call. It was one of those phone calls that you just dread getting. Uh, the phone rang. It was my father-in-law. I could see it on the screen. And I figured his voice would be on the line when I picked up. But it was my mother-in-law, and she sounded incredibly worried. I, I knew something terrible had happened. And she told me that my father-in-law, Rod, had had a heart attack at Mass and that he was rushed to the hospital and could I please come and pick her up? She was all alone at the church. And just my, my heart just broke for her. And, of course, being very concerned about my father-in-law, we rushed over to uh, the church where, where she was. They go to a different parish than we do. And picked her up, went to the hospital. Um, my father-in-law had gone completely pale uh, during the Mass. And she knew, my, my mother-in-law being a nurse, knew very well that this was in all likelihood a heart attack. Called 911 and... Thanks be to God, they were in a place where the EMTs could get to him very quickly. Um, he wasn't at home by himself. He might might very well have passed out, and who knows what would have happened. But uh, they got him to the hospital, and it just so happens to be one of the best cardiac hospitals around. So uh, they were able to clear the blockage, and um, the prognosis looks very good right now. So I'm, I'm super, super thankful for that. But uh, yeah, the big game was the last, last thing on my mind yesterday, and uh, we just wanted to make sure that my father-in-law was okay. So in your charity, please uh, spare a prayer for him, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Again, his name is Rod, and uh, and I know that he's, uh, hopefully he's listening to Relevant Radio. I mean, he's he's got some time. He can rest a little bit, and uh, we'll be seeing him uh, later tonight. But we're all a little sleep-deprived, and we'll uh, we'll just uh, continue to fight through it. And what's interesting, I thought about this later, and by, by the way, today is my my in-laws wedding anniversary as well, their 52nd wedding anniversary. And, um, I, I know that they weren't hoping to spend it together in a hospital room, but, but, uh, we're all thankful that, uh, dad's going to be okay and, uh, pray for them, pray for them. My mother-in-law's name is Nancy. And I, I realized sometime afterwards that yesterday being February the 11th, of course, this was superseded by the Sunday feast day the sixth Sunday in ordinary time. Um, I was, which I, mean, I was referring to it as Super Bowl Sunday. It, it's sad that I, I, I uh, was, uh, was using that as my high holy day instead of the sixth Sunday of ordinary time being, being the main uh, focus for me, but such, such as it is, such as it is um, that the Sunday, of course, superseding what would have been the feast day of our lady of Lords, February the 11th. And, also, the World Day of the Sick. So many healing miracles taking place on uh, at that site of Lourdes. And people still flock to that pilgrimage site every year uh, to dip into the healing waters. That's one place I've never been, but I hope to, hope to get there soon. 
and and also just but but just the, even though it wasn't the readings for our lady of lords there was obviously a stupendous healing miracle in the gospel of yesterday's mass the sunday mass which comes to us from the gospel of mark and the first reading of course had to do with leprosy and how lepers had to go outside of the camp uh cover their upper lip keep a stiff upper lip as it will as you as it were cry out unclean unclean no one can approach them and the idea is you don't want to infect someone else not only with leprosy but with uncleanness ritual uncleanness and so they were forced to live outside the camp as it were to sort of tear their garments uh muffle their beard i don't know what it, what that means exactly but uh but just to declare yourself to be unclean and live outside the camp and and essentially really you could say it's a death sentence in, in a couple of different ways because not only might you die from leprosy, and, and there are people, by the way, who want to doubt that the scriptures do talk about what's known as Hansen's disease now, the, the modern form of leprosy. Of course, you saw St. Teresa of Calcutta uh, caring for lepers, washing their wounds, very famously Hansen's disease, but that did in fact exist in biblical times. We actually have archaeological evidence to show that Hansen's disease was in fact operational in Jesus' day. Some people think they were just sort of mild skin conditions, not the case. So you might die from leprosy outside the camp, but certainly separated from the people of God, separated from the warmth of, of one's not only family, but family of faith. But in a sense, this is exactly what happens to us in a spiritual way when we are in mortal sin, when we're cut off from, even even though we may be in the church in body, because clearly you still have to go to Mass, even if you are in a, not in a state of grace, you need to get to confession as soon as possible. You're not dispensed from your Sunday Mass obligation if you're in a state of mortal sin. And I know some people want to say, well, I'll just wait till I'm in a state of grace to go back to mass. I might as well just if I if I'm if I'm in a state of mortal sin, anyways, I might as well just pile it on and miss a mass. No, don't think that way. Please don't think that way. Get, get there is don't don't that'll callous over your heart quicker than you can imagine. That that sort of attitude. You still need to go to mass, but please get to confession as soon as possible, so you can receive the Eucharist again too. But but when we're in that state of mortal sin, before we get back to confession, we're kind of kind of in a sense outside the camp, even though we may be physically in the church in body. Uh, we don't want that to happen. But yeah, th this uh, February the 11th, Our Lady of Lourdes, the miracles that, that happen there uh, to this day. One, one of the best miracles associated with Lourdes, of course, is St. Bernadette Subaru her, herself, who's, we talk about saints who have been discovered to be incorrupt. Well, she is the most beautiful of all the incorrupt saints that have ever been exhumed, as it were, and, and I, I think I think that this is, is such a good evidence for the veracity of the Catholic faith. That not only miracles in general, and not only the sheer preponderance of miracles in the career and life of Jesus, but just in the history of the Church, miracles wrought through the intercession of the saints. And it, it's kind of interesting because. When you look at the truthfulness of the message of Bernadette being backed up by these miraculous events, that's exactly the kind of uh, credential that Jesus himself offered for his own work. Think about something they said in, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 14, verse 11. Jesus said, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So hey, believe me when I say this, it's, it's almost like Hans and Franz on, on Saturday Night Live. Hear me now, listen to me later, believe me sometime next week, I'm going to pump you up. Believe me now, but if you don't believe me, if you don't believe what I'm saying, at least believe the, uh, the evidence of the miracles. That, that's the ultimate backup. That's the ultimate evidence for, for what I'm saying is true. The, the evidences uh, of miracles are certainly a good. Um, if you can believe the miracle, you should be, be able to believe what I'm saying as well. And this is why in, in the Gospel of John, the miracles of Jesus aren't actually called miracles. They're called signs. They're called signs. These are signs, of course, indications that God was powerfully moving in and through him. Yes, even as him to advance his saving plan for the world. Now, what's amazing about this, too, is that Jesus promised his, also in John's gospel, in the same chapter, in the very next verse, John 14, 12, Jesus promises his followers, hey, you guys are going to do even greater things than these. Now, how can you do greater miracles than God made man himself? How is that, how is that even possible? Well, I think one of the reasons why they're greater <laughs> the miracles wrought through the apostles and, and through the intercession of other saints is that now God is performing mighty works through ordinary humans with, with, with their help. The shadow of P Peter's mere shadow would heal the sick. You know, if you look at Acts chapter five, verse 15, they would just lay the sick out in the streets and just pray that his shadow would, would fall upon them. A handkerchief, you know, hopefully it was clean. You know, that, that touched Paul, you know, was, was, was brought to the sick, the same thing would happen. It was, it was sort of a relic. And, and demons would be cast out as well. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19. But the, the, these miracles that happened during the apostolic age, they didn't end at the apostolic age. Because every single age in the church has been marked out by the miraculous. And in the Catholic Church, miracles, quite literally, never really cease. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. And I'm just, I just got logged out of my computer screen, so I'm trying to, trying to get back in. So I can see your phone calls, 888-914-9149. I am back, Producer Jim, just in case you, <laughs> sometimes we have glitches. We have, uh, we, it's live radio, things happen. But, but th this is, again, this is a, a great, uh, reason why February the 11th, which was yesterday, usually the feast day, of course, of Our Lady of Lourdes, this is one of the most stunning testimonies in, in modern times to the, to the truth of Catholicism. So St. Bernadette Subaru, who was born in 1844, died in 1879, when she was only 14 years old, that's when she encountered the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Grotto of Lourdes in the south of France. This was the year 1858, by the way, when this happened, on February the 11th. And she had no idea who it was at the time. She was a poor peasant girl. She didn't have a formal religious education. It's not like today, if the Pope says something or the Vatican releases a document, everybody knows about it in five seconds through Twitter or X. It could spread throughout the world. Back in those days, if, if there was any promulgation from the Vatican, it would take sometimes months or maybe even years to reach people um, word spread, it trickled down, in fact, to, to be sure. And on March the 25th of that year, 1858, the lady, and that's what Bernadette called her, the lady, 
told her in the local dialect, Que soy era Immaculata Concepción. I am the Immaculate Conception. So she tells this to her parish priest, and he, he just can't buy it. He can't believe it, because four years earlier, it was only four years earlier, in 1854, that the, that the dogma of the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady was actually proclaimed by the Vatican. But Bernadette had no way of knowing that. She did not have a formal religious education much less an understanding of what, what that meant. I am the Immaculate Conception. So, because he was basically saying to her, what was her name, this lady that you say you saw? Oh, she just said, I am the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> what? She said, what? And then, of course, there was the miraculous stream to, to back up those words, the stream that was unearthed by Bernadette. She kind of dug it up herself with her, with her own hands at, at Mary's behest. And, and those waters have become, obviously, the source of innumerable healings over the years, inexplicable by natural means. And, and then also with Bernadette, and you see this with all, with all the saints, that those who have been granted an audience with Our Lady, like Bernadette, uh, uh, like uh, Sister Lucia, Fatima, the Fatima children, I mean, she's, Bernadette shunned publicity, utterly shunned publicity. She 100% refused to profit from her experiences in any way, she never would have appeared on, on a talk show or anything like that. Her fame was, I mean, she probably, maybe she would have come on relevant radio because it's, it's, we're, we're trying to spread the good word of Christ through the media, of course. But, but really just being famous for having this contact with Our Lady, that, that was kind of, a, that was a big cross for her because she eventually became a, a consecrated nun. And when she was in the convent, uh, a lot of her re- fellow religious sisters were actually jealous of her. I mean, people are people. I mean, even nuns... <laughs> You know, have to go to confession, and, and they were very jealous of her uh, and, and the notoriety that, that followed her, and that was a, that was a very bitter experience for for Bernadette because she she didn't want any, any of this stuff um, at all. So she, so unlike modern so called visionaries and, and spirituality gurus, uh, very many of them who want to just kind of make a name for themselves, um, she was. Um, not looking for that, and she also suffered a lot and was quite sick in her own life. And that's that's a great irony. She died at, at the... So many healings came through the waters of Lourdes. She died when she was only 35 years old, St. Bernadette. But the greatest of, of healing graces, I guess you could say, for her body came after her death because her body, of course, was found to be incorrupt. And like I said earlier, she, she is the most beautiful of all the incorrupts in the church's history. And I mean, I, when I talk to Protestant friends of mine and I talk about theological arguments for the Catholic Church, historical arguments for the Catholic Church, biblical arguments for the Catholic Church, very often their eyes glaze over. <laughs> um, sometimes they're into it, but one thing that really grabs people, I find, is things like the incorrupts. That, that is a very hard thing to explain away. And, and you just... I mean, I'm not aware of, of a preponderance of incorrupt saints outside of Catholicism. Maybe there are. God can work outside of the church. There's no question about that. Perhaps there have been some very holy believers in Christ outside of the Catholic Church who have been found to be incorrupt. I'm not aware of any, but you just, just this sheer centrality and preponderance, continuous presence of miracles in her midst in the Catholic Church is a very unique phenomenon. Why would God preserve so many Catholic saints incorrupt? You just 
You just don't see this. And I know it's a little bit anecdotal. I don't have statistics on this for you, but the incorrupt bodies of saints like Bernadette, no longer speaking in audible words, still give eloquent testimony to really the incorruptibility of the Catholic Church herself. So that World Day of the Sick, the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes yesterday, even though it, it wasn't really yesterday because it was superseded by the Sunday Feast, is something that's, that's, that's really, really important. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. All right, let's take a call. Let's go to Pepper in Riverside, California. Hi, Pepper. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Great to, great to hear from you. So I'm not Catholic, but I've been okay. sending money into Relevant Radio for a while now. And the reason is, and also I didn't necessarily believe in God or Jesus, and I totally do now. And it had to do with someone who's wow. Catholic, who asked St. Teresa of the France, uh, who must have a lot of juice in heaven, asked <laughs> about St. And this is somebody I didn't know. Uh, she was working in a building where I had gone into work, my first day of work, and I brought in a big bouquet of roses for my new secretary. And as soon as I got into this big building in downtown L.A., the Ronald Reagan State building, Ronald Reagan building, mm-hmm. um, um, as soon as I got in, I'm walking across this big atrium, and a voice in my head, I think it's me arguing with myself, to say, you should give the roses to the receptionist. I'm like, why would I do that? No, really, give it to receptionist. I don't know the receptionist. I, you know, I want to give it to Beverly because my last secretary was such a bitch. I want to make a good impression, right? So I'm having this argument, I assume, with myself. I was not raised in any religion, by the way. And so I'm arguing with myself all the way across <laughs> the big atrium. Three flights on the elevator. And when I get to the third floor and I got off the elevator, right in front of me, behind bulletproof glass, is the receptionist. I was wow. so tired of arguing. I went, I just, I gave up. I went up to the bulletproof glass. They held these beautiful roses up, and I said, these are for you. So she blessed me, and then she came out of the hallway. And looking back, I realized she was very suspicious. And <laughs> she said, tell you to give me these roses? And I go, no. And she goes, oh, was there somebody who's a florist downstairs who said, if you're going up to this fort, so third floor, would you take them up? And I go, no, look, there's no card. I picked them in my yard in Riverside this morning. So she took them. And later that day, she came down to my office, knock, knock, and I talked to you. Sure, she comes in. And she says, really, no one told you to give me those roses? And I said, no, <laughs> nobody did. I didn't say, I did not want to give them to you. They were not for you. They were for Beverly, but I didn't. I didn't want to be rude, right? Right. And she said, well, because I prayed, basically asked St. Teresa, I found out St. Teresa was through friends later, mm. for a little boy who has cancer that he would be cured. And when she hears you, she sends you roses as a sign. I go, well, that's really great. How nice. And then all I wanted was her to get out of my office because my first day at work and I had something really hard to work on. So about a year later, I see her around. We never talked about that. A year later, she comes down, knocks on my door. Can I talk to you? Sure, comes in. Shuts the door. Usually people do that if they want to ask you for legal advice. Nope. She goes, I lied to you. I go, what did you lie about? She goes, there was no little boy. And I, I couldn't even remember the first day, right, at work. I, I like, what? She goes, remember, I told you about a little boy with cancer. Well, it was me. I had cancer. And I found out today I'm cured. I go, that's great. And what I thought, that was in 1997, I thought, oh, I thought it's the placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I ignored the fact that why was a voice telling me to do that? I was not aware of that. People who were raised in a religion know the Holy Spirit could speak to you, but I didn't, right? So that was in 1997. 
In 2020, by then I had learned more about Big Lucero France. Yep. Uh, my neighbor's from, from France, she's Catholic, and she gave me the book St. Therese wrote, and I read it, because she heard yeah. the story about the reception. Story of a soul, I read story it. of a soul. Yeah. Story of a soul. It was autobiography of a soul. It was really easy to read, nice, sweet book. And in it, it said she likes it. This is after she died. That you know, there's many uh, been reprinted many times. And that Saint Therese likes it. If you tell people about it, a miracle she said. I go okay. So that day, after I finished reading the book, I stood up, looked up towards heaven, and I said, "Hey, Saint Therese." She said, "Like my kind of saint, I was not raised praying to anybody." So, and it says not to pray to you, it says just talk to you. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm hearing some really horrible things that are going on, forcing people to be vaccinated. And as an attorney, I don't think that's legal. In fact, I'm sure it's not. But you know what? It's horrible. Send help. What's the harm of me asking, right? Please send help. So well, the next know, day... Pepper, I just, I, I'm so sorry I have to jump in. This is so compelling, but we're, we're up against a, a network break. I have to take this break, but I, but I wanted to say, first of all, thank you so much for calling. I am so, so grateful that you called in, Pepper. First of all, number one, uh, not even being Catholic, but also supporting Relevant Radio. We're so grateful for that because we just, as you no doubt are aware, we just had our February pledge drive, which ended uh, last Friday, and we not only reached our target, we actually had the the best pledge drive we've ever had in the winter time, and that's thanks to all of our listeners, including you, Pepper. And we're, we're just so grateful that people who aren't even necessarily Catholic are, are are finding our programming helpful and inspiring. And we're so grateful to be a part of your journey. And and obviously, part of that journey involves Saint Therese. And yeah, as as you well know now, <laughs> that's incredible. I, I have to think God is somehow involved in that. This little voice saying, give her the flowers, give her the roses, not knowing that she's going through this. She's at, and, and yes, obviously, that's a very well-known uh, sign in, in the church. Uh, St. Therese saying, I'll let down a shower of roses from heaven. I'm going to do more good in heaven than I ever did on earth as a, as a saint in heaven. Everybody in heaven is a saint. But yes, uh, through her intercession, uh, prayers have been answered, and very often people have had this experience of discovering roses, or somehow roses are tied in, and she's well known for that, often depicted with a bouquet of roses if you've seen statues of her or images of her. But that that's just amazing. And uh, and uh, Pepper, I'm so excited about your journey, and, and uh, wow, that, I, I want to hear more from you. So pl- please do call back, uh, drive safe out there. I know it, it sounds like you're in the car, so uh, we're just super excited about everything that, that God is doing here on relevant radio but it takes faith it takes faith the one one things that pepper said was that you know and i think she didn't say this in so many words but when things like this happen it's very tempting to say and she mentioned the placebo effect maybe maybe the just getting these roses you know tricked her body into healing itself somehow and and i this is always the way it works with god because most of the time he 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 gives us an out meaning that we don't necessarily have to believe in him. If we want to explain something away, he'll give us that out because he doesn't want to compel belief. We have to make the choice. There's enough evidence. If we see where the the tea leaves are pointing, if we see where the clues are taking us, there's more than enough evidence for him. But the data is such that you could, two people could look at the same thing and one could say, no, I don't buy it. This is how God gives us room for faith and, and he respects our choice. Um, he didn't do that with St. Paul, though. When he appeared to St. Paul on the road to Damascus, he took away Paul's choice. He said, I am real, and you can't deny this anymore. But for most of us, we, we do have this room to decide and, and and exercise that faith muscle. And so 
This is the test of life on planet Earth because faith will be replaced by sight in the next world. I have to take a quick break right now, as I said, but uh, call in. Other callers, welcome. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back after this on Relevant Radio. It's the Kale Clark Show. The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. So good to have you with me on this Monday, the 12th of February, 2020. You know what? Did I say 2023 at the top of the show? On my on my notes, I wrote 2023. I'm still, it's the old habits are still hard to break, even almost two months in. 2024. That's what year it is. And in the first century, around the year 24, first century AD, 024, um, a lot of people were... Now, we talked about leprosy. We talked about Hansen's, Hansen's disease a little bit uh, in, in the first segment. We talked about the healing miracles at Lourdes. Why don't I get back to um, that gospel from yesterday, from Sunday? Because I want to tie that into a little bit today. It's, there's going to be a oh, maybe a tortured segue, but we'll we'll look into it. Um, in the gospel yesterday, first reading, of course, was from the book of Leviticus about how lepers are to be handled, uh, which is very sad. Uh, and then we look at the gospel, which comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. A leper came to Jesus and kneeling down, begged him and said, if you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I will do it. Be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately and he was made clean. Then, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. He said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. See, what's great about that, too, is that, and I'm going to tell you why Jesus said, don't tell anyone. Uh, It has nothing to do with the so-called messianic secret. You hear about this sometimes if you read about the Gospels. There's no such thing as the messianic secret. Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. He knows it. He wants other people to know it. But it's very interesting. He said, go to, see the, go to see the priest and show them that you're clean. You don't have leprosy anymore. Why? First of all, it's a nice touch because now he can get back into the life of the community. He can get back into the camp, as it were, and participate in the normal religious life of the Israelites. And it also shows that Jesus is not a lawbreaker. He's not a lawbreaker because there's this sort of narrative out there, and I've talked about this a lot, that Jesus wanted to trash all the Old Testament and just sort of start a new thing. This is the way a lot of Christians operate. It's not the case. Um, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not one, you know, jot or tittle, as it, as it says in one translation, no dot of an I, no crossing of a T is going to disappear from the law until all is fulfilled. So he's not a lawbreaker, but he comes to fulfill the law. Anyways, the guy didn't listen to him. It says the man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. So the guy was just so excited he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And this becomes a crowd control problem for Jesus. This really changes his ministry because... 
about 25% at least of the population is sick, really, really sick at any given time in the first century in Roman Palestine. So Jesus is a one-man walking healthcare clinic. You just have to touch him or get him to touch you. You can even touch his clothes and you'll be healed. So he's in great demand, but, but the primacy of the message of the kingdom has to come first. The miracles and healings and exorcisms are all evidence of the truth of the message. And Jesus wants to do as many of those as he possibly can, but here's the problem. He's, he's, only, one, he's only in one locale at the moment, in the age of the church. That's why he says, greater things you will do than these, because now I'm going to work through my mystical body, the church. I can be spread out all over the world through my members, through you and me, members of the people of God, living stones in the church, and I can work miracles through them. But right now, I can only be in this one locus. And so, even if I heal every single one of you, you're all going to die at some point anyways, and if you don't get straight this message of your salvation, none of this is going to matter. And don't worry, you'll get a new body at the resurrection of the dead on the last day so you can start fresh. But, but, the, but, but the thing is, with, with the, in particular with this healing of the leper, this idea that he actually touched him, which was a big no-no. Everyone is trying to avoid touching the lepers to, A, not contract it themselves. B, they don't want to be ritually unclean. They want to be able to go to church, quote-unquote, as it were. Um, can't do that if you've been in touch with the leper. You need to sort of hang back and get ritual purification. But Jesus, the leper doesn't make him impure. He purifies the leper in, in every way. And so this is really a nice touch of compassion, too. If you, this guy probably hadn't had felt a human touch in a very, very long time, a hug or even a handshake. And just that, that would have been incredible, incredibly meaningful for him. But again, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, there, there were, always have been a number of scholars that have tried to debunk the miracle claims of Jesus and, and, and the church. And one of the things that they used to say was that there was no such thing as Hansen's disease in Jesus's time that came much, much later. One of the great discoveries of recent years, and I got to see this up, up close in Israel a few years ago, I got to visit the famous Shroud Tomb, what's known as the Shroud Tomb. It has nothing to do with the Shroud of Turin. That's a different shroud. This is in a place called Akeldama. Akeldama is also known as the Valley of Hinnom. It's also known as Gehenna. <laughs> it's starting to sound more and more ominous, isn't it? This is the, the Valley of Hinnom, which is known as Gehenna. And this is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And this is, this is, the, this is the word Gehenna that Jesus used in the Gospels to refer to the eternal hell. Uh, why did he use that that this place? Because, well, unfortunately, in Old Testament times, a lot of dastardly things happened there. Human sacrifices. Um, the people of God had turned to um, really demons in disguise, uh, masquerading as other gods, quote unquote, offering their children to Malek. Um, there was a, also a town garbage dump that was burning constantly, 24-7, 365, the stench of which was unbelievable. And so Jesus is trying to look for some sort of an image to describe hell to people. Uh, how do you describe something that, you know, is indescribable? Well, he uses this term Gehenna uh, to uh, to kind of, you know, conjure up the, these horrible imager, images. Uh, and, and you don't want to go there, essentially. But anyways, that, that was also a very famous burial uh, place around the time of Jesus. And in the Valley of Gehenna, you'll find the tomb of Caiaphas, 
the high priest who condemned Jesus to death, his ossuary or his bone box was discovered there on a very ornate tomb. I've seen that. And then, and then not too far away, there is the shroud tomb, which, which was discovered by some kids who were just kind of playing in the area. And they said, wow, this looks kind of cool. And they, they found this opening in, in the, in the rock formation and they, they kind of realized this was an ancient tomb and they, they slid inside and, and, and I've been inside this thing. You have to actually crawl in. It's very much like Indiana Jones or spider webs, cobwebs everywhere, tarantulas. And you slide down this passageway to get to the next level. And then you got to go down another level. And then you find buried deep in the ground, this, this tomb. And in this tomb, there are a number of niches in the wall where they would lay the bodies out to decompose. These are called, uh, kokim, um, and they're really small. They're about two feet high, about one and a half feet wide, about six feet long. And you'd lay the body in this niche. This would have been exactly like the tomb that Jesus was was uh, was buried in as well. There's a niche where you lay the body. It decomposes. You come back a year later. You collect the bones, and you put them in what's called an ossuary or a bone box. Well, this tomb, this particular tomb, had been looted already by grave robbers a long, long time ago. And they took everything because people would sometimes uh, bury with their loved ones jewelry, mementos, all kinds of things, uh, their baseball card collection, whatever whatever they, they were into. And anyways, the, the thieves wiped out all of this stuff. However, there was one body, and, and many people were buried in this tomb. There was one body that they didn't touch. They didn't go near it. And it was covered in a shroud, and there was a skeleton there. It was 2,000 years old. It was from somewhere between 25 and 30 year in the first century, um, right around the time when Jesus is doing his public ministry. Now, there's a reason why the grave robbers didn't want to go near this body, because this person had Hansen's disease, had leprosy, and that's why they died. And they were buried sort of apart from everyone else. And what's what was incredible was that, anyway, so these kids who found this tomb, to their credit, they went and told the authorities, and they didn't keep a secret. So the Israeli Antiquities Authority came in, shut the place down, taped it off with police tape, that kind of thing. And and they sent in the famous archaeologist, Dr. Shimon Gibson, who I worked under, by the way, in an archaeological dig in Israel. So he came in there, checked it out, and he found that this skeleton that was under the shroud, believe it or not, on the skull, there was still some flesh and some bits of hair that were stuck to the shroud and stuck to the guy's skull. And just in the coolness of the tomb, it was like sort of sealed off, hermetically sealed. For whatever reason, it did not, that was the one part that didn't decompose of the person's flesh, the person's body. They took it to a lab and they figured out the guy died from Hansen. They figured out from this 2,000-year-old bits of flesh and hair, the guy had had Hansen's disease, leprosy. So the theory that leprosy didn't exist in Jesus' day, because this is from the first century, in the time of Jesus and Pontius Pilate, this guy died of leprosy. So Jesus really did heal actual lepers. This was not made up. Just kind of blew that theory out of the water. And um, so, by the way, I I, I put this in the show notes. A few years ago, I mean, these are really rough videos, like handheld videos. Um, Dr. Craig Evans and I went into the shroud tomb, and we kind of did a little travelogue video of this. Uh, it's, It's kind of rough around the edges, but we can put a link to that in the show notes. It's still on YouTube if you want to kind of get inside this tomb, this first century tomb, and check it out. So I, I thought that was that was interesting, and what, what, with with respect to these tombs and these ossuaries, these bone boxes, that kind of brings us to 
today because today in the first reading, it's from the letter of James in the New Testament. And I was reading this and I thought, wow, with with everything that we're kind of going through, th- these words are are very, very appropriate to hear about trials, how we can have joy in the midst of our, of our trials. And he, here's what it says. This is from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance be perfect, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and he will be given it. But he should ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed about by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a man of two minds, double-minded, if you will, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so he says some other stuff as well. But this is really interesting, this idea of joy and suffering and perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. James is known, by the way, as the Bishop of Jerusalem. He's mentioned in the New Testament. I know there's a lot of guys named James. There's James the Greater, James the Less, and the Apostles. There's two James who are part of the apostolic band. So this is really confusing, but this guy was not one of the 12 apostles. However, he was called in the New Testament the brother of the Lord. And so the question becomes obvious. Is this the brother of Jesus? Did Jesus have a brother? Well, I can tell you this. It wasn't a son of Mary, but I do think he was a relative of Jesus. I do think he was a relative of Jesus. And on the Faith Explained program uh, some time ago, we did a series called Bonding with James, James Bond, Bonding with Okay, that was my tortured attempt at a pun. But it was all about the letter of James. We also looked at something called the James Ossuary, this bone box. The actual bone box of James, the first century bishop of Jerusalem, who was a relative of Jesus, who was skeptical of Jesus, did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry, they actually found his bone box. After his body decomposed, they put his bones in a limestone box. It was discovered. And this is a this was an incredible archaeological find. I do think it's legitimate. People questioned whether or not it's real. And in 2002, about 22 years ago now, wow, it went on tour. It was shipped from Israel to Toronto, Canada, where the city where I live, uh, and it was it was on display for quite some time at the Royal Ontario Museum, and people came to see this from all over the world. Famous biblical scholars from all over the world came to see this thing, and and just marvel over it. Now there, there was there was a lot of conjecture that it was a fake, that it was some sort of a fraud, um, but there was actually, believe it or not, a trial that took place in Israel, and all kinds of experts testified. 138 witnesses testified. And they actually said, and there's a lot of reasons to believe this, that this is, in fact, legitimate. We know it's from the first century. Is the inscription a phony inscription? And what it actually says, the inscription says, Yaakov, and, that, and that's, that's James, by the way, in Hebrew, Yaakov. You remember the comedian Yaakov Spiranov? Do you remember that guy? He's probably the first guy I ever heard of named Yaakov. But anyways, Yaakov means Jacob, which, which becomes James. It's a long story how that happens, but... But Yaakov bar Yosef, and that means James, the son of Joseph, Akui de Yeshua. 
And that in English is translated as James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And so this was wild. This, this, this touched off like a huge firestorm of interest. Um, there are still people today who, who think it's, it's a phony, uh, it's, it's um, a fabrication. But no, I, I do think it's real. But now you're saying, well, Kale, does this mean that Jesus had a brother? Uh, not that way. Not that way. Who, who was this James? Well, it's really, I guess you could say that there's really four main ways that we can figure out who these, and it's not just James either. There are these quote-unquote brothers and sisters of Jesus that it talks about in the New Testament. Here, here's an example of this. This is from uh, the Gospel of Mark. Or, sorry, let's actually use Matthew here. Um, Matthew 13, verses 54 through 56. When Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, his fellow congregants were amazed. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Well, that's Jude, by the way. Jude, and even the letter of Jude in the New Testament, it's the name Judas, but nobody wants to be called Judas after what happened. So, But it's the same name. It's, it's, it's Judas, which becomes Jude. And then um, in the Gospel of Mark, it's a bit of a different order. It talks about James and, and Joseph, Judas and Simon. It also mentions sisters. So who, who are these people? If they're not children of Mary, because we know that Mary is ever virgin, it's one of the dogmas of the Catholic Church. Who, in fact, are they? Well, there's a great way to explain this, and I'll, and I'll tell you how. We've got to take a quick break, first of all, on The Cale Clark Show. We will be right back, 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Triple H, 914-9149, it's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, do you want a transformative Lent for you and your family? Lent starts in just two days on Wednesday, this Ash Wednesday, February 14th. You can watch Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass Premium Edition. It's back for bite-sized glimpses into every prayer and word from the Mass, right from the sign of the cross to the final blessing. You can get these free video lessons every day of Lent sent to your inbox all the way from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. So transform your 40 days with 40 lessons with Father's weekly Eucharistic encounters as well at relevantradio.com slash Lent. So I mentioned just before the break... um, who are these quote-unquote brothers and sisters of Jesus, um, including James? Well, there's really four possibilities. If you're a secular person, you don't believe in the supernatural, you don't believe in the virginal conception of Jesus, you don't believe that Mary's ever virgin, they, they kind of look at it as Mary married Joseph and then had all these kids. <laughs> uh, Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, Salome, Salome, and Mary. Well, that's not that's not the case, but that is the way a lot of secular people look at it. Most Protestants, but not all, not all, but most Protestants think that we're looking at half-brothers and half-sisters. So in this way of looking at things, uh, obviously Mary is con- uh, conceived Jesus in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is Jesus' father, of course, has no human father, but then Mary and Joseph have children of their own. James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, Salome, Mary. Okay, so that, that's sort of the Protestant view. Now, there's, there's a couple ways that we can look at it that are compatible with the Orthodox Catholic view. And by the way, just so you know, 
there is no, there's nothing in the New Testament that says that Mary is not ever virgin. Okay, and there, there is nothing in the New Testament that says that Mary had other children other than Jesus. It's just not in the text. And if anybody tells you otherwise, it's not true. Now, they might sincerely believe that, but it's not in the text. And even Protestant commentators will admit that. It, it, it really more depends on, on who's your magisterium, who's your teaching office, who's your teaching authority, and how do they interpret the scriptures. Well, there's a couple of views that are consistent with Catholic teaching. Number th- The third view is the idea that they are stepbrothers. Okay, so this is very popular in the Orthodox churches of the East, non-Catholic, but also in the Eastern Catholic rites within the Catholic Church, like Coptic Catholics, Ukrainian Catholics, that sort of thing. So in the Eastern rites of, of the Catholic Church, the stepbrother view is very popular. And under this view, Joseph was married before, but he was a widower. His wife, his wife had passed away. He marries Mary, not because he's trying to start a new family or that he's just, he's taking her on as she, he is her guardian. He is her guardian and she's a consecrated virgin. There's some evidence for this in Luke's gospel. Anyways, uh, Joseph is, is a bit of an older man under this view and so with his previous wife, he had all these kids, James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, Salome, Mary, and then she dies, the mother dies, and these are the stepbrothers and stepsisters of Jesus, okay? The other view that's compatible, and I'm sort of just like summarizing all this for you, is this idea that they are cousins, they are cousins that these other children are actually children of another Mary, Mary of Clopas, Mary the spouse of Clopas. And uh, Clopas is mentioned in the New Testament. Clopas and Mary might very well be the couple that were on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appears to them. A lot of people think it is Clopas and his wife, Mary. And their children would be these these guys, James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, Salome, Mary. So Clopas would be a cousin of Joseph under this scenario who marries Mary, but of course, not for those reasons. He's her guardian. Uh, Mary, of course, uh, gives birth to Jesus, whose father is God. Okay, so that's that's a lot to take in, but um, the word brother has a very large semantic range of meaning, and it can refer to cousins and even other kin. Um, Abraham calls Lot his brother. He's not his brother. Lot is his nephew in the book of Genesis. That's a good example yeah, I even say to Jim, producer Jim, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, I mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, he's a brother from another mother, if you know what I'm saying. So so it, it can be like that as well uh, in the Jewish world. So any, anyways, um, when you hear talk that James is the brother of Jesus, it does not mean that he is a son of Mary. So just, just so you know. I do think he was related to Jesus, though. I really do. And Paul says, uh, you know, he didn't believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry, during Jesus' earthly ministry. He actually, Jesus gave him a separate resurrection experience. He appeared specifically to James individually. He got an end private audience, which not too many people got after Easter. Uh, and that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, let's talk Super Bowl. We got a couple minutes. Uh, the stats. Um, uh, Jim and I were correct. Jim is the Swami. Jim and I both picked the Chiefs to win. We didn't get the score right, but that's okay. Can't win them all. And uh, Patrick Alog, who's not here, he, he picked the, the 49ers to win, so he, he, he is too ashamed to show his face around Relevant Radio today. <laughs> um, but, Jim, you win the pool. Uh, you were 11-2 and two during the playoffs. Hey, Incredible it, selections. <laughs> it was a fun offseason. T- I think I need a nap now. It was so exciting. <laughs> Such a great game last night. 
really yeah, fantastic. It really was. The first half was kind of a dud. Yeah. Um, I, I did watch it on, on tape delay last night when I got back from the hospital when I knew everything was okay. I, I did, you know, I fast forwarded through. I still haven't seen the halftime show or anything like that, but I, I did, I, I turned off my phone. I didn't want to know what happened. I watched it. Sloppy football in the first half, as, as Rich Pye said uh, from Relevant Radio, our marketing director, but VP of marketing. But it was pretty tense in the second half, especially at the end. And um, I, I feel if you're a Niner fan today, you know, bang, bang, Niner gang, you know, you got to feel sick to your stomach because th- that, that game was in your grasp. I mean, just a couple things happened in the second half that the blocked point after attempt. Uh, after the touchdown by um, uh, what's the name of the 49ers kicker again? My, I'm sleep deprived. So uh, Moody. Jake Moody, Jake Moody, should remember that he was on my fantasy team. That was huge because then at the end of the game, the Chiefs only had instead of being up four, the Niners being up four, they're only up three. The Chiefs only had to get a field goal to get this game into overtime, which they did. Um, if they have to score a touchdown, maybe that doesn't happen. And then of course the muffed punt, uh, which touched a Niner player, and um, Ray Mary McLeod tried to scoop it up. He wasn't able to. And uh, Chiefs recovered, and next play they had a touchdown to uh, MVS. Great pass from from Holmes, and just a few like little missed assignments and things like that. Um, but I mean, little things make a big difference in games like that. And uh, it, it, I mean, it was but a great performance by Mahomes and the Chiefs, of course. And that that last little play called Corn Dog, with which they won. That was the name of the play. The the false motion by Cole Hardman. And then he just kind of bolts to the to the end zone corner and. Mahomes got him. What, what a drive. What a drive and what a game by Mahomes and the Chiefs. Unbelievable. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was. It took all the energy out of the building. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, the Super Bowl is such a, a great game. It's such a fun day, you know, and it was just, just my wife and my two kids and, and they enjoyed it though. They love it. And we had a blast. Yeah, it is. Do we have time for the Kevin Harlan call? Uh, we're running out of time, but we can throw it in there real quick. All right, let's do it real quick. First and go at the three. Lining up in the clock at 10 seconds and ticking. In the shotgun, Mahomes. Four-man front, receiver emotion, low snap. He runs and he throws, caught, touchdown! It's caught! Hardman caught the ball! The Chiefs have won! The Chiefs have won! The entire bench empties! Chasing Mahomes in the end zone! That was the great Kevin Harlan from the Westwood One Radio Network with a call of the winning touchdown by the Chiefs in overtime last night. Mahomes is like Gretzky. He's like Michael Jordan now. He's just, you know, dynastic at this point. All right. It's Kale Clark Show. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be back tomorrow. God bless you.